Welcome to the Sonic Shaman Show, home of the Coffee Connect and Conscious Connections. The show is dedicated to empowering you to perceive, know, be, and express your unique voice in this world without the fear of judgment of others through healing, coaching, and educational services. In each episode, Hank and his guests offer tools, techniques, and inspiration to help you step into your potency. Now, here is your host, Hank Settela. Good morning, everyone. My name is Hank Settle. I'm the Sonic Shaman. And back by popular demand is my wonderful brother on the path, Matthew. And uh, we got such great feedback from the last stream, and we wanted to offer a little bit of something related to that on escapism. Escapism. I can't talk. <laughs> but honestly, like when uh, when I was even doing the graphic for this, I was sending Matthew all kinds of things. And he's like, I think we have two different definitions on escapism. And from the clinical standpoint, from what you're, you're learning, I had a I did have a complete different uh, mindset. But why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, since we might have some new people on, and then we can jump right into our topic on hand. Sure. So uh, my name is Matthew Stewart. Uh, I am a uh, Andean shaman, just like uh, Hank and our dear friend Zane as well. Um, I am in the Master of Social Work program at Cleveland State University. Uh, this is my, I just finished my first semester. Uh, and what I'm doing in my field placement, my internship, is I'm working at a substance use, substance abuse treatment facility. So I see people that come in with cocaine usage or cocaine addiction, crack addiction, alcohol addiction, um, and some people that believe they don't have any addiction at all. Like yeah. some people that only use marijuana recreationally, but according to the facility, you know, that's illegal. So it's still criminal behavior. And while I may not completely agree with everything that the agency stands for in terms of how drugs are bad for say, but uh, this is a per I do not reflect the views <laughs> and opinions of my agency. A good recovery. Uh, but I feel like there is still a point there that if we're trying to live a life free of influence from other things, then even drugs that we may not think are bad are still the enemies of growth. So escapism really at its root is we're trying to get away from things we don't want to deal with. So, for example, the stress we feel. The, the bad marriage that we have, the, um, the trauma that we've experienced. I know we talked a lot about trauma last week. So um, some common themes of escapism, um, you know, we think about drinking or drugs or um, relationships or work. So all these things really can detract from dealing with our personal shit, spiritual human yep. and transit, right, Hank? Yeah, yeah so, in transition, close, yeah. Yes. So while it may seem like it's a good, so it's been my own personal journey about learning how to deal with escapism and deal and uh, leaning towards growth. So as a spiritual person, my primary focus is on personal growth and development. And I think that's a very common theme in the spiritual community. So when we turn, <clears throat> excuse me, when we turn to these substances, we're really numbing that sense of discomfort that we feel. But really that discomfort is telling us that there's something we need to look at. So um, Hank, I believe you have some personal experience with this. Yeah, uh, and that's one thing I was going to say first. The, the group that you're in, the internship where you're working with these people, I went through IOP when I got sober in March of 06, I think. Yeah. March of 06 is when my, it's been a long time I've uh, yeah. been sober now. And uh, I went through IOP. It was a dual diagnosis for the alcohol abuse as well as uh, depression because my wife, of course, was in Germany. There was other things going on, though, from my past. And it was like um, during the group, I went in thinking I just had an alcohol abuse issue. And it was while in the group, while getting the tools that they were giving, that I had this shift in awareness that, oh, my God, I really am an alcoholic because it was the it was a, a, a phenomenal craving story that really spoke to me, but it was vital for me to go there and my willingness to be there. I was self-admitted. I didn't have to be there. The court wasn't forcing me. The police weren't forcing me. I was there by my own free will. And I think that was the shift, the change that I had that some other people weren't having is they were there because they were forced to be there. They didn't want to be there. They weren't really stepping into the willingness of change. And that is a, a hard thing to crack that willingness open for people to step into it. 
Yeah, I have had, um, that's definitely something I noticed too. Um, the involuntary clients, we call them, are people that are court ordered, sent by their POs. They're, I noticed that there's a very large motivational gap between the involuntary clients and the clients that come of their own free will. And it's really, it's it's hard to really manage that. Um, you know, we have a set curriculum, so it's only there's a certain amount of things that we can really do. And then when we get into personal sessions, we can do, you know, sort of, you know, uh, within the guidelines of the agency. But um, really, the the whole idea is that when we're turning to these escape mechanisms, uh, we really are turning away from potential growth. Uh, my own therapist has said that I need to lean into this discomfort because, uh, for example, I'm, uh, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, um, Are we talking about Timmy again? I don't know. Um, I didn't really have a good plan for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are usually when the greatest things come out of something is when you're not planned because a plan is like a, a set for a set up of predetermined guidelines, limitations, judgments, conclusions, projections, and expectations. If you can just kind of step into what is your own knowing about this and what could really help people shift into getting out of what they're escaping from and really leaning into that discomfort and going towards that hucha, as we call it in the tradition, head on and not being afraid of it. That's where things can really uh, shift for people. Yeah, and it's it's going into it, but not getting lost in it. Because like we talked about the victim mentality last week, there's, there's this important factor that, you know, emotion is information. And while emotion is important and we can have trapped emotion in our body, it's important information to let us know where we need to go next. So it's yeah. not getting lost in it. And I would go over that difference again, because that was a, a very important thing, the difference between a victim and victimization. And I do want to bring this up. A Facebook user, you didn't click the link for a StreamYard to let me see who you are. So if you make more comments, just give your name and then a hyphen so we can actually refer to you by name instead of mysterious Facebook user. But uh, they were saying, you both have no clue how much I needed to hear this. This was meant to be. Everything is so timely, isn't it? Uh, mm -hmm. but, th but that was a real clear distinction that you gave for me that I never really had thought about could you go over that again because i think it's relevant to this conversation too so yeah so uh so there's something called a victim mentality so um in in cognitive behavioral theory you know cbt classic cbt for therapy uh there's these things called thinking errors or cognitive distortions and one of them is the victim stance so thinking errors are basically errors well it sounds really really derogatory when I say it, but, you know, thinking errors are, are ways of thinking that are sort of disordered, that don't follow logical things that are influenced by emotion. So the victim stance is how, when we, uh, we think of ourselves as a victim, when we play the poor me card, everything is about me, all the things that in the world are bad because of me, you know, I deserve this, I want this, you know, it perpetuates the whole energetic cycle of the victimization. However, when we see that someone has been victimized, as in someone has suffered from like sexual abuse, trauma, physical abuse, rape, stuff like that, you can still be victimized and still have gone through something. But it is the choice to continue being a victim. And when you sit in that victim mentality, that is actually a form of escapism because it lets us do it lets us act certain ways and justify our behavior in order to not deal with our own stuff. So it's stepping outside of that. And, you know, not, I, I say this, that a lot of times when you read these self-help books, they make it seem so easy. And uh, coming from a trauma-informed approach, you know, when I think that I, I go from the perspective that everyone has some form of trauma. When I teach, when I, when I heal, I do things from a trauma-informed approach. So, you know, there's, when we think about trauma, we think about maybe you didn't eat a night and that can have a very adverse effect on a child's brain. So maybe you were expecting something and maybe you stepped on a bee when you were three years old walking to the pool. Maybe uh, you saw your parents fight a lot when you were a kid. These things are all trauma. And I think that we're doing a disservice to the world by narrowing down trauma to be these very large events when really it depends on the perspective of the person who's being traumatized. Right. It could even be something. I remember one example where I was really excited about something and I had mentioned it to my mom and it was like, 
the response was actually really traumatic for me. Like it was, it, I, instead of getting support, it was more like a, like the, the exact opposite, almost being put down for it in a way. And it, it, it was an innocent comment. However, in the, at the age that I was in, it had like a long lasting impact until I looked at him like, well, you know, that was really the truth of what she was representing in that time. But it, it, it's, it could be even like a subtle word from somebody that could cause a huge internal event. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it's choosing what to do with that with that emotion, with that thought that really determines where we go from there and how we grow from it. And there's not to say that there is a period of loss and grieving every time we experience a trauma. So I'm not saying that when someone is raped and raped, for example, that's um, that's a very traumatic thing. And there's a period of time where you need to process that because these events do shake people to their core. So giving yourself permission to be in this space for a period of time to process it is different than perpetuating yourself in the stance of being a victim. Right. Very good. And I just, and, for the, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't no, know I, no, really. Well, no, I was just mentioning for the talk from last week, the trauma talk, I just, I did post it in the comments. Uh, so there's a link to the YouTube channel where you can take a look at that, uh, that talk that we did on trauma. But really, I guess the question then is when people are in that self-justification, self-pity victim mode, what what changes that from them going from escapism to actually wanting to look at their shit and start start being that spiritual human in transition, which is what that what that um, analogy is. I'll throw that up there. Spiritual human in transition. We go through our shit in order to really start to transform from a human doing into a human being and starting to be our authentic voice in this world instead of covered by other people's stuff that was projected on us. I I haven't found the answer to that question just because every person is different. Um, for me, it was, you know, I think a very common theme is when people hit rock bottom. Um, but in the substance abuse world, there is no such thing as rock bottom because rock bottom is death. So when we think about what motivates someone to change it's it's really personal um it is it it's it's a long process of realizing that someone that i want more that there's more to life than this and it's it's something that i'm looking for how to motivate people Ooh. and yeah. Ooh, this is. Uh, I'm in this uh, BNTV bootcamp class where they're giving us these different exercises to get comfortable. And one of the things that might really help a lot of people, if you're really stuck in this escapism type of thing, what they said is you don't even have to give it 100%. You don't have to give it 80%. All you have to do is want it more than you don't. So 51% of you desiring and choosing change is enough to start to create a shift in your life. And 51% might not be as overwhelming to someone thinking that they have to totally do a 180 and totally change their life overnight. What if you just want change more than you don't want change and you want healing more than you don't? That that just that extra little weight on one side of the equation is going to start to propel people to start choosing differently and start to bring themselves out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's and if you do, you can do yourself a disservice actually by thinking that all the change needs to happen at once. I actually had a very long conversation, a very I fought with this idea for a long time that change <laughs> ha, change is not like there's no steps in change. There's no um, like you can't say that I've changed because change is a continual process. So every moment, every moment that you work towards your own growth, you're changing. So I, I, I thought I was looking back at my life and I'm like, man, I am like 5% away from where I used to be. So I'm thinking, man, I haven't changed at all. But if you think about that 5%, if I look back, um, I almost said 30 years, but I'm not 30 years old yet. But, you know, if I look <laughs> back t- 10 years and where I was back then, I was a completely different person. And when we think about change and we think about where we want to be, there is a certain underlying expectation. And it is my opinion that expectations are really are really enemies of mm-hmm. spiritual growth because we have we're constricting ourselves to a certain level of where we want to be instead of being open to the possibility. Because I, I actually did a, a breathwork ceremony this weekend. I was doing um, the sky breathing technique, which is um, Guderev, Sri Sri, Ravi Stenkar is a is a um, Indian guru, 
Uh, and while I didn't agree with the teaching, I actually found the breathwork to be very enlightening. Uh, I've actually read studies that breathwork alone, they did us a trial with um, people on uh, do, using LSD and breathwork and people using breathwork. And they found that the level of consciousness shift was the same in both groups. So with and without an entheogenic drug, people were able to achieve the same state of altered consciousness. So I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> was that Hank? Well, in fact, in our tradition, uh, the one of the traditions of shamanism that Matthew and I practice, the Caro tradition of Peru, they don't use any plant medicine in their ceremonies. They they simply do breath work, like the breath of fire. It's very similar to the holyotropic breath work. And they actually look at plant medicine things as dangerous. And while there's other shamanic traditions that embrace uh, the plant medicine. So that it's something to be said with the breath work. And while I'm thinking about it, since you mentioned you did a ceremony, I know that towards the end of our talk today, uh, we're going, you're going to be doing, uh, as long as nothing's changed since we talked before we went live, <laughs> that you're planning to do a little bit of a process with people if they stick around yeah. or if they can't you can always come back and catch it on the replay but we'll plan for that uh probably 15 well we'll see how our conversation goes um, yeah. how, but, but about 20 but, minutes but yeah about 20 minutes from now we'll be stepping into that and that will wrap up our um under an hour conversation for, under escapism and if you have questions comments anything uh i like to think of this as our show meaning even those that are watching it like where do you like us where would you like us to go in the conversation do you have sticking points where you haven't been able to escape that and maybe we might have an inspiration around it you'll know yeah because i have i had about five minutes of things to talk about and it's been 16 minutes so i'm kind of grasping at straws here please <laughs> oh, grasping at straws oh don't say that no no nah, nah, um so as i was saying about the breath work uh, i actually went really deep into inside uh, me and did some shadow work and what really happened is that it brought out some stuff that i've been suppressing so it's now sort of slapping me in the face and saying hey you know you, you're dealing with this now and i can so what i can do is i can choose to drink a bunch of alcohol i can choose to sleep for days i can choose to um throw myself into my relationship or i can choose to do the self-work and that self-work and when we think about it it's like it's the therapy it's the it's the shadow work it's the it's the doing the healing it's thinking it's meditation and the self-work looks different for everyone because the shadow is different for everyone and really it's it's finding the process that works for you or visiting someone um my actually my specialty in terms of my healing practice is people that are stuck because I know what that energy is and I bring and I've overcome that stuckness. And it was really just a matter of willpower and realizing that life kind of sucks. And I didn't want life to suck. It, and it was this resignation that, well, I'm here. I'm not dying. I'm not going anywhere. So I might as well make the best of it. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's like, what, what do I want to do? And finding out who I am and what I want is a very long process. And I think a lot of the world, when we think about um, some of the more esoteric concepts and some of the new age stuff, you know, we think of the average human as someone who's just going through life on autopilot and being a spiritual person is stepping outside of that goal, outside of that role and choosing to do something different. No, there's uh, two sayings that I picked up in AA that are relevant to some of the things we talked about. First, kind of going back to when you mentioned resentments, they say that resentments or expectations are resentments waiting to happen. And when you have any, when you have a resentment, whoever you're holding it or harboring it against, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die because that resentment, only you're the one suffering. They're at home sleeping soundly. You're the one that's choosing suffering because you're hanging on to this point of view about whatever it is. So that's one of them. And then the other one, as you mentioned, going through the trauma and, and things like that, they have the saying that religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell and spirituality is for people that have been there. And, and many of in my circle of friends and colleagues, so many of us have had some sort of, is that a fire alarm? <laughs> oh, this is a hot topic here that we got the fire. No, alarm it's, going. <laughs> it's a truck, uh, truck in the background. Oh, you have a really good microphone, man. I'll tell you, I love it. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I have a, I have a $130 studio microphone that I broke. So uh -oh. I'm looking to get this set up at some point. Look at cool. this! Look at this bad boy! Like this is some real, 
Studio yep. quality. This is what I. Anyway, got. you were saying. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell, and spirituality is for people that have been there. And a lot of the people that I have uh, found doing similar work to myself, if you if they tell their story, you find that they went through this immense period of darkness, whether it was alcoholism or some sort of other escapism that they had to break free of, and then there was a tipping point. There's always a tipping point. Like that 51%, if you just start working at things, there comes like a teeter-totter effect where you might be slanted like this and it might take a long time to start balancing it out. But once you start to pick up the momentum, when the tables have turned, it becomes easy. And just keeping that consistent choice of change. I like my alliteration, you know, keeping that consistent choice of change with good orderly direction, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it. That's what the real recipe is to to shift things, but it's like what what wakes people up. Some people say it's getting sick and tired of being sick and tired, uh, so it, it, but it, but it doesn't have to be like the huge bottoms that people experience. You can choose to get off. We talked about it last time. Choose to get off that elevator that's going down at any point. You can get off at any floor. You don't have to go to the basement. You can stop at any point and start to choose differently and start to go back up. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also important to know that it's not always going to be consistent. Like my my breathwork ceremony brought up a lot of stuff that I wasn't ready to deal with, and I took two steps back. I can't. There are certain aspects of my relationship that I can't enjoy right now because of that experience. You know, I tried to do something that I wasn't ready for, and I took a step back. And it feels like I did two years ago uh, around the holidays where I was I felt like my body was electric and I couldn't be touched like my body couldn't be touched and in a and, you know in an intimate relationship that's kind of you know it's jarring for the other person and it's not where I want to be and being gentle with myself and uh giving myself permission to be in this space while I process these emotions is very important so. but I, <laughs> go ahead Sorry, well, we have a comment. I'm going to bring up, I think this is probably Jessica talking again. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, she says, yes, I'm a shamanic practitioner, or he. I'm not sure who it is yet. Um, and they're in recovery as well. I have done the cognitive behavior therapy, um, eye movement, desensitization, reprogramming, and on and off depression meds. When I got this on this path, I started slow with shadow and inner child work. And I think we talked about inner child last time on the trauma call. And I just keep getting knocked down. I don't know why I keep feeling stuck. My trauma was centered around an event at my job in detective work that I left after 15 years. I know I am never going back, but I have trouble moving forward. So... I would like to speak to that. I have worked with a number of people who are stuck and I have done the exact intervention, the exact healing that would get them unstuck if they wanted to. So here's the thing. When we think about motivation, there's something we're getting out of it. You know, if you think about every action we do is driven by a need and a want and a, you know, a thought, a feeling, a behavior is what we say in CBT. So if we think about the belief, so what do I believe about myself? If I believe that I am stuck, then I'm going to stay stuck and I'm going to think about law of attraction where I'm going to manifest situations and things that keep me stuck. And then if we think about it from more of a broad perspective, if I am getting something, something out of being stuck, if I am benefiting from being stuck more than I am from moving forward, uh, I'm going to stay within that confines of the stuckness. So it's really changed, changing the underlying belief, you know, what and um, the desire. And that's that's really difficult because these are so programmed. It's over time. I had someone who I've had a number of people like, especially love readings. Love readings are the worst. I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to draw a boundary and say I refuse to do love readings because people have this certain expectation, a certain desire, and moving outside of that is where the real growth occurs. Because if we're stuck believing that something is true, even if we're not aware of it, then how can we move past it? And my, my, um, my belief is that the most important thing in healing is fostering awareness. Because how can we heal something that we're not aware of? Right. And that the moment that makes us choose to change could be different for everyone. But I will I will speak to one thing that is consistent in things that I see with my clients is the power of the question why. 
His why is a looping question. It's a victim question. And when you tell the universe, why is this occurring? It says, here's another experience of why this is occurring. And a, a question that I would encourage people to ask to start to shift out of that would be, well, what else is possible here? What else is possible here? And to your point, what are you getting out of it? There's a concept, uh, I, I forget where it's from. It's called secondary gains. What is my gain from this? And if I can realize and that I can get that without having the disease or the escapism, uh, like one example was I had a client who had lupus and I said, well, what do you love about your lupus? And she says, nothing. I don't like anything about my lupus. That's a stupid question. And I'm like, seriously, think about it. While I'm working on it, I'm like, you think about it. By the end, I want you to give me at least one thing that you that you love about your disease. And at the end, she's like, you know what? Anytime I don't want to do something, I say, I can't. My lupus is flaring up. And then I said, well, you realize that you can say no and not have your disease. You could just let your yes be yes and your no be no and not have a reason or justification of your choice. And there was a lot of other things that went into it too, um, some other things, but moral of the story is when I saw her next, her lupus was gone, the doctors are baffled. She had the willingness to shift and break out of that limiting belief that she needed the lupus in order to have a secondary gain. And it, can, it may not work that way for everyone, but that's a starting point. What am I gaining from it? And how do I shift and get that without having the disease? And then the other question is, why do I need this to be happy? You know, I've I've struggled with this question. Why do I need to have this feeling, this sensation in order to be a certain way? What if I could exist outside of this and still be happy? What if I can shift my entire perspective outside of this belief system and move forward with some entirely different belief system? So, yeah, yeah so like my, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. No pressure. No pressure. Right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, about, you get what I'm saying, Hank? Yeah, I, I totally get that. Uh, the, the one thing I don't, the, the one word I don't like is the why, but you, you, you saved it by saying, well, what if there's a different possibility? And by asking what else is possible here, the universe brings you an experience that shows you what else is possible. And if you're at a low asking the question, how does it get any better than this? You know, I love my access tools and the universe, because you're stating that's your statement of declaration of will into the universe. You say, universe, show me how it gets better. Whether you just stubbed your toe or you just won the lottery, you put out to the universe, show me how it gets better. So instead of asking why, that creates the same experience again and a loop of victimhood. You ask a question that starts to give you a different trajectory and get you out of the stuck that you're in. I actually remember my example. Yes, thanks, Hank. Um, <laughs> so I was doing a meditation on, you know, a lot of a lot of these uh, these healings these uh traditions are about giving yourself to god and as someone who absolutely loves and needs to be in control of himself and control of everything around him um moving outside of that is very terrifying so i was thinking like i was there in the meditation and i was in i was in the hypnotic state and i was like man i don't want to give this stuff up and then i was like well why why don't i want to give this up and then i thought what if what if I could be someone else and you know, what if I could do choose to do something else and be outside of this, you know, and uh, it's really the fear of the unknown that keeps us stuck yeah. because as humans, but you're biologically wired to not want change because change means that we have the opportunity to die. And as humans, you know, we, a lot of times we discount the fact that we're animals and 6,000 years ago, we were still living in caves We've only been like modern civilization for a hundred years and we're expected to, you know, sit at a desk for eight hours and stare at a screen and, you know, stare at a light box. And we think about this and we're wondering why is depression so prevalent? We're, we're going against our nature. Our nature is to be in nature because we are nature and right. we're, we're getting rid of all of these things that make animals happy. These, these satisfying relationships, these, these time in nature, the solitude, the quietness. We live in a society where quietness is frowned upon, where it's we're we're thinking that we're weird if we want to have alone time and quiet time. I mean, if you think about, we live in an extroverted society, and yeah. uh, I I've had to learn to be an extrovert because I, in my chosen profession of being a social worker, eventually a psychotherapist, I have to be a people person. I have to be there for people, but it's also finding time to be with myself and be in the quietness and you know, think 
become one with myself and one with the world around me that really presents itself for growth. And I think there's even studies that show that like just walking in nature 15 minutes a week, or I I forget the exact things of how how huge of an impact that has on our psyche and our, our peace and calm. Why do you think that we have plants in buildings? Yeah. And one thing I wanted to bring up with ego, and before I, I say this thing, the ego is something that is very intentional. And it, I'd like to give the example, if we're all one and that oneness is the ocean, the ego is the water balloon skin that holds our drops separate from the rest. So though we are the ocean, we're not in the ocean, if that makes sense. But once that balloon pops, we go back. So in that respect, ego is very important because that's our individualization of divinity. But ego also is all about survival. The ego's job is to keep you safe and make sure that you survive. And when you're in ego, you're edging God out, you're edging source out, you're edging the totality of you as a spiritual being out. And that is um, that is the thing to be really mindful of. The ego will allow you and give you reasons and justifications to choose the same stuck cycle over and over again because it knows you survived it. It would rather you relive your worst day of your life over and over again than for you to choose a different possibility that says, I don't know what's going to happen. I might die. Choose this where it's safe. That's the function of ego. So it's important, but we also want to make sure we use it for its intended purpose to be in the world, but not of the world and start to choose despite the ego's reasons and justifications to choose the same stuckness. So there's a, I'm part of this group called the Mankind Project. And there is this process that we do called what's at risk. So we take a situation and we think, so for example, what's at risk if I go to graduate school? So I think, what's at risk? Well, if I go to grad school, I have to give up, um, I have to give up my current way of life. So what happens when I give up my current way of life? I have to make a change. What happens when I make a change? Uh, What do I give up when I make a change? I give up um, the life I was living. And what happens when I give up the life I was living? I have to choose something different. And when I choose something different, I have the opportunity to fail. And if I have the opportunity to fail, then I'm stuck in fear. And if I'm stuck in fear, I don't move forward. If I don't move forward, I'm stuck forever. If I'm stuck forever, I don't change. If I don't change, I die. (laughs) But so what's at risk if I do go to grad school? So if I do go to grad school, I am able to grow as a person. If I grow as a person, I move past what I'm dealing with and I'm able to help people. If I'm able to help people, I live in a world where I'm a better person. If I live in a world where I'm a better person, I can... Uh, choose to do something different. If I choose to do something different, I'm no longer stuck in the past. Where am I going with this? If I'm no <laughs> longer stuck in the past, then I'm, let's see, let me trace this. Bring it back. I'm no longer. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically if we do this and we look at these things, oftentimes we'll find that eventually I would have gotten to death. Basically I'm damned if I do, and I'm damned if I don't. So at that point with that awareness, I can choose to do something else. So knowing that I, at the the end result is metaphorical death at either end, why choose to stay suffering? Because suffering is really a choice. And we, you know, we say suffering is a choice, pain is inevitable. It's a very famous spiritual saying. So what I like to foster is the awareness. I had a client who um, was stuck. He had this, I've had actually a number of two clients that had what they thought to be a demon possession. One person had... Uh, both of them had like a very dark helmet on and they were so convinced that it was a demon and they've tried everything. They've tried Reiki, they've tried tarot, they've tried exorcism, they've tried banishing all of these spiritual techniques. And, you know, you got to ask, well, why isn't this working? And mm-hmm. uh, my belief is that it goes back to that, that really they want this or it's serving them or it's protecting them. I connected with that energy that this person was suffering from and they said it said that it was protecting this person. And then you think, well, this person is obviously suffering. So what is so scary that they're choosing to live like this? And it is that unknown, that fear, because fear really uh, fear, you know, that death cat for cutie fear is the heart of love. We think about the opposite of fear or of love isn't hatred. It's fear. Because fear takes us out of the present moment and makes us look towards the future, look towards the past, and um, removes all sense of growth and desire from us. Yeah. And there's um, an acronym I like for fear, too, just to throw one out there. Because as children, we're often taught, especially if you're the firstborn, parents are so protective and so scared about everything that you're looking. So you're exploring the world. 
excited as a new being with a body to check everything out. And what you get from your parents is, oh no, oh no, oh no. And you start to misidentify the excitement of whatever you're about to try with fear. And so that an acronym is feeling excited and ready. What if your fear is misidentified excitement? It's not the true in every case. Sometimes it's legitimate. The ego says, hell no, don't do that. But, but oftentimes it is actually this element of excitement that we're just misidentifying, especially if you're the firstborn, because parents are all like, ah. So just a little food for thought on that too. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's why I said like emotion is information and the uh, a common tactic for depression is to do the opposite of what you feel like doing. So when we think about mental illness, we're, we're really dealing with a different animal than people that are neurotypical. And I believe that probably 95% of people in the spiritual community have some sort of mental illness because, you know, when we think about pathology, we're thinking people that are outside the norm and every spiritual person is outside the norm. <laughs> and but people that have the neurochemical imbalances in the brain, uh, so my certain receptors in my brain don't uh, accept chemicals properly because I have bipolar disorder, I have anxiety, I have PTSD. So all these things are working against me. And moving outside of that is really important to grow. And you know, sometimes my depression wants me to lay in bed all day, and I can lay in bed all day if I want. But is that really going to serve me? It does. It does serve me because I'm getting something out of it. I can, you know, I'm I'm being lazy and I'm giving myself an off day. And sometimes it's important. And uh, one thing, the last thing I want to touch on is the difference between self-care and uh, self-soothing. So I was actually at Panera Bread with my social work friends, my colleagues in class, and I was having a pretty rough experience with something that was coming up. And I wanted to go get some cookies and get a bread bowl. And I have a gluten sensitivity. So it was really, you know, I was going to hurt myself. And that's when they said, I know you want to self-soothe, but do something different. Get a salad instead. So when we think about things like grounding, you know, self-care is for the future. Self-soothing is for the past. So when I'm doing self-care that you think about exercise, it's going on a diet, it's doing meditation, and that's setting your future self up for success. But self-soothing is really uh, placating and soothing that past self of you that's being triggered. So that it's is important. really good. Is, I'm, I'm going to have to make a meme out of that. Uh, <laughs> that is really good. Self-care versus self-soothing. And then you, you know you want to self-soothe, but choose differently. That's, that's what really saved me going through the IOP is they kept saying, if you're depressed, no matter what it is, you act opposite. And acting opposite will help you shift out of that stuckness and whatnot. Um, so I know you said that was the last thing. So before we start the your process, I just want to shout out for people who may not uh, stick around or they're going to come back on the replay. On uh, January 15th, I'm hosting through Emergence of Being, Matthew doing a shamanic journey meditation. And the unique thing that we're doing, because we know COVID has... Uh, totally change people's worlds and things. So what we're doing is a, an abundance pricing model where we put the price at 30. You can use the code HELP10 or HELP20 to take 10 or $20 off. You also have the option when you register to add 10 or 20. So if you can afford to pay more, you can. If you can afford to pay less, you don't have to. You know, you, you can choose to pay a price point, whatever works for you. But he's this. it's going to be way more in depth than what we're about to do. So I wanted to throw that out. And I will also post the... Um, post this in the comments for people uh, for you to choose that if you'd like to choose something different. No pressure, though. So really, the whole process of these shamanic journeys is that I'm I'm creating a space for you to utilize the healing that the body has for you. And it's also I'm doing a transmission of healing through my voice and my instruments to do a healing. And really when we're, we're in these workshops and the, and I'm just doing a 20 minute demonstration, it's, it's, it's really light and I can't go in depth. And also the intention is different. And I like to accommodate everyone's uh, requests. So if you have any requests for something that you want to look at when you do register, please let me know, or you can send me an email. Um, could we get my email out on that page, Hank? Um, I will put it there. I can't do that so, on the fly, but no, um, I know. But <laughs> or if you mention just... it now, I could bring, I could put up a banner for it. Um, yeah, we could plug my uh, my contact at the end, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, this is Matthew's Facebook page. So if you go to facebook.com backslash Moses Gnosis, M-O-S-E-S-G-N-O-S-I-S, uh, you could uh, connect with him through his Facebook page there as well. But I will... Um, but we'll add the email to the page. And there's also uh, through Emergence of Being, there's a contact page. You can also send a note through there. If it's related to Matthew, I will forward it on. So if you want to send a note before I get the email up, uh, don't let that be a hindrance. You can either reach out to the Facebook page or use the contact form, and we will definitely get it to Matthew and um, work with you. All right. So uh, just a disclaimer, do not uh, drive or operate machinery while doing meditation. <laughs> uh, you know, every time you go on those... YouTube meditations, they have this disclaimer, this is not a, a replacement for therapy or professional advice, and I got to give that disclaimer. So, you know, yada, yada, yada. So we're going to get started here. And um, if you will, just kind of settle in to where you are, this place that supports you and feel really the weight of the air around you. Because when we think about the atmosphere, there is a certain level of pressure. And we've gotten so used to this pressure that we don't feel it anymore. So just sort of close your eyes and feel the energy, the pressure around you. Imagine that this pressure is circling, is circling around you, creating sort of like a little, uh, a little tornado almost around you. And feel the moving energy around you. And imagine that all of this stuff is circling around you 24-7. And if we think about it, there is stuff circling around us 24-7. We're all enraptured with the humdrum of daily life, the advertisements, the, the phone, the social media, the responsibilities. And it builds up. It builds up in our pakbo, our bubble, our aura. And just sort of become aware of that and choose to make that energy sort of rotate and move. Because a lot of times we can stagnate this energy. And when we stagnate this energy, it becomes heavy and hard to move and stuck. And expand your awareness to the edges of your aura and just take note of little pieces of your aura that aren't moving right now because with your intention to move everything else some parts of you aren't going to want to move and that's okay and be gentle with those parts of yourself and take note see if they have anything to tell you connect with them make friends with your heaviness Ask, what do I need to do to help you move? What do you have to tell me? And do that now for a couple of minutes. And be open to anything you may experience. And allow any outside sounds or noises to just bring you closer and more centered. And focus on the breath. And when you connect with these heaviness, just notice the change in the spin. Mine goes faster when I connect with these heaviness. Things get busier. You don't need to make any sense of it, just become aware. And just take note of how this spinning makes you feel in your mind and in your body. Every time you feel emotions that might overwhelm you, just take a deep breath in and out. Let it move. you find yourself sitting on a lotus pad in the lake, still seeing that spinning energy around you in this vision, 
for this feeling, however you experience. And this lotus pad supports you. And you feel it below you. You feel the wetness, the damp surface of this pad. And you allow the energy of this pad to sort of become a stopper for the spinning. Allow, give yourself permission to slow this spinning. Put your intention in the opposite direction. Actively choose to slow the humdrum. And feel your heartbeat. The heart pumps blood and oxygen. And just connect with that. And let every beat of your heart slow that doldrum. Taking deep breaths if you wish. Giving yourself permission to slow down. And if you could give this speed, this spinning of voice, allow it to come up from your body into your throat and express this feeling. Ah. And feel that. Feel how it reverberates through your body, expressing this feeling. Feel that movement. Imagine now the spinning is not a part of you, but it surrounds you. Really separate yourself from the spinning. Imagine that your body is the one that is important not the spinning around you. And just focus on your heart again. Maybe put your hand on it and feel the pulsation. Taking a deep breath in. And out. And slowly bring your awareness back into your body, into your mind, into your awareness. And just take note of that spinning. And think of what you can do 
to slow it down. Because this spinning, this busyness, takes us away from ourselves. And it is natural to want to numb this spinning, but really, the way we stop this is by letting go. So let go. Taking a deep breath in, breathing in the healing, and out. Slowly becoming aware of the physical space around you, your body, your skin, your organs, your blood. Doing some stretching because we don't stretch enough. And when you open your eyes, just notice three things directly in front of you. Taking one last deep breath in. And out. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for and that. I smacked my uh, tin Ooh. pot next to me when I picked up my drum. <laughs> that's all right oh yeah shit so, happens uh, you know yeah i uh I it's encourage how everyone to it. share some of their experiences um uh if you have any questions i'll be happy to answer um i don't know i i went so deep i was in cleveland when we started and now i'm in hawaii <laughs> <laughs> i just thought i would make that cheesy green screen joke but um yeah and i mean if we think about depth of meditation it's you know in these 15 minute 10 minute things there's really only a, there's there is no limit but there's only a certain level to which we can go to and i know that this may sound like i'm plugging my thing and this is all an advertisement but really i want what i want is um i don't want people to hurt especially the way that i've hurt and I've experienced a lot of hurt in my life, and I see the hurt in other people. You can see it in people's eyes, in their bodies, the way they carry themselves, their aura. There's a certain unanimity to the experience of hurt that affects humans in, in the same way. And uh, um, when we think about the phrase namaste, it means the light in me sees the light in you. and I want there to be a phrase that means the pain in me sees the pain in you. And in that shared pain is healing because I can, we healers can create a space where that pain can be expressed and processed in a safe way. And that is my goal is to make humanity not hurt anymore. It's a lofty one, but I think it's a noble one. You'll get it down one meditation at a time. And we do have Jess just offering a ho, a ho, a ho, thank you. Um, I'm not sure what Miwich is, but I'm sure it's a, a native phrase if I had a guess. And then Faith was offering the stuck stuff said, well, we need some structure in the midst of all this change. But I realized I am the only constant I need. That is a, you are here with a full tank of gas, everyone. Like you have everything from spirit, everything that you need to reascend through this planet and this harmony through the, the, all this disconnect that we have in the world to be able to be in the world, but not of it and really be your own unique, authentic voice and share that as a beautiful medicine gift to someone else. And that's what Matthew, I think really brings to the table is because of his pain and his willingness to have worked through it. And now to be his authentic voice actually reminds me of a, a meme I made. Let me throw this up here because Matthew, this is so relevant to you. Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Oh, here we go. Your mess is your message. And the pain that you have gone through is really the the medicine gift that you have to work with other people. Your 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 trauma has become your message, not the trauma specifically, but the energy of moving through it, the energy of despite all that, you have found your authenticity and can shine that in the world. And that is huge. Mess is your message. I love it. And and I feel that if I can do it, anyone can, because I'm not special. I mean, I, I'm the third child. My mommy always told me I was special, and <laughs> it, it was a huge wake-up wake call to realize that my specialness is only 
it's what I make of it. It's, you know, I am, if we think about um, humanity and the shared consciousness, I'm no different than Hank. I'm no different than Jess. I'm no different than Faith. It's just the way that I express myself and I show up in this world is different because of my experiences. If we think about that all of humanity or the entire existence is just the universe experiencing itself, you know, that means that we are all one and there is no separation except the ego. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like a lot of I've struggled with this concept that we're trying a lot of people try to kill their ego or get rid of their ego or move past the ego. And really it's not that, it's making friends with it. Because if we fight, fighting creates resistance. If we are fighting the ego instead of allowing it to do its job and and you know giving it permission to get out of the way when we need it to, that's really the key in healing. Because if I had no ego, I'd be a mess of a person. If we think about people that have psychosis, they have lost all grip on reality. Well, some that have psychosis, they're living as a spirit in a human body and they cannot process the information around them. I actually had an experience on Monday where I lost all track of time and it's terrifying. And uh, I, I feel like as a social worker, as a therapist, there's a certain level of life experience that needs to be there to be effective because I can sit there and I can tell you that you need to overcome that. I, I, you know, I can sit there and tell you all the things by the book. And really, that's not where the healing is. The healing is through the space and the love that is created within that space. And um, really, the, the light that I have is the creation of that space, because having this space of love and unconditional acceptance is something that many people have never had in their life. When we think about the phrase unconditional love and how important that is to humans, we we think about our parents and how they're processing their own stuff, their own shit, and we're processing our own shit. And, you know, the goal of me as a parent is to not pass down, is to not have any trauma to my children. And that's unrealistic. But moving outside of the traumatic lens and being in a space of love is hard. And when we think about the people who've done that, you think of Jesus Christ, you think of Mahatma Gandhi, you think of these people that have lived their whole lives in a spiritual sense. And that's hard now. And it's finding the space to enter into that space, finding the time to be the spiritual human that you can be, to be the universe expressing itself in the body, in the physical form, Hmm. is really the goal, should be the goal of mankind. Amen to that, brother. Oh, mitako asi for all my relations, if I pronounced it right. There's different variations. But thank you so much for coming on again. And thank you, everybody. You have been a wonderfully dynamic group um, uh, connecting with us. Now, Jess did ask uh, if she was looking for connecting you on Facebook instead of the uh, instead of the page. Is that something that you are willing to do? I'm throwing you on the spot. And just know, too, that on Facebook, you can also just follow people without friending people. If you want to see anything that's coming up publicly, you can always follow a person uh, as well. Uh, yeah, you can just uh, add me on Facebook. Um, I might add you back. Uh- <laughs> yeah, he's going to take the profile. Make sure you're not one of the whack jobs, right? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> if you have like that, if you have five pictures and you have one mutual friend and it's this, this hot girl on a car and she's, you know, it's like, oh, come on, man. That's a, that's a scam. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Or you can connect yeah. with me on my Facebook page, send me an email. Um, my email is the same, mosesgnosis at gmail.com. So yeah. my Facebook page at gmail.com. Um, I'm yeah. happy to connect. And our names are what we have here. Like these are real yep. names. So like you can connect with either <laughs> of us, my Hank Suttle. I'm, I think I'm the only Hank Suttle on Facebook. So you should have no problem finding me. Matthew might be a little bit more of a common name, but uh <laughs> But you'll find us on there. And thank you, everyone. Again, this has been a wonderful group. I love the interaction. And uh, Matthew, I'm sure as long as you're on winter break, we're planning to do these pretty regularly while you're free with for school. So you can uh, look forward to next week. We don't have the topic or for the time for sure yet, but you can look forward to next week. We will have something for you to continue this dialogue of working through our trauma, our heaviness, and getting out of escapism. But until then, thank you all so much. And we will catch you next time. Namaste. 
Thanks for joining us today for the show. The Sonic Shaman is part of the Emergence of Being Contributor Network. Visit emergenceofbeing.com to learn about all the contributors and learn about our services and upcoming events. Please take a moment to subscribe to the channel. You can contribute to the show by supporting our efforts and sharing our content with those you care about and those who need it most.